Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. It is so good to be able to get our hearts just in a pliable place so that the Lord can, uh, can teach us what he wants to teach us tonight, right? You, you're in an attitude of learning tonight? Okay, no one. Great. That's, yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you to uh, Ray and the whole team. It's good to see Melissa back with us. She's uh, recovering so well. Praise the Lord. I pray for Pastor Mike. He, he's uh, battling pneumonia this week, so be in prayer for him. Pastor Wayne says his regards as well. He is still traveling on our behalf, and he will be back later in the week. So uh, what a great team. But welcome here, King of Kings in Jerusalem. It's so good to see your beautiful faces today. Welcome everybody watching online tonight as well, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, other platforms around the world. And in light of that new video, if you didn't see that, that was a fun pre-service video with all the languages. So I just want to mention, you know, we've got folks watching tonight from Austria and Brazil, Canada, Finland, France, India, Ireland, other parts of Israel as well, Kenya, Malaysia, Mexico, the Netherlands, Norway, Philippines, Poland, Sicily, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, United Kingdom, United States, and other countries who didn't tell us where they were watching from. Welcome to King of Kings in Jerusalem. Thank you. You know, there's a I saw a video this week, just speaking of all the languages, there was a, there was a beauty contest this week when all the, the, the people that got up to the microphone, they, they must have told them to scream their country instead of just say your country. If you come across that video, that's why I was chuckling in the middle of reading those, those countries as that was playing through my mind, you know, Albania, Switzerland. All the girls were just screaming the countries. Check it out. It's pretty funny. Listen, we got a lot of things to pray about. You heard about the prayer initiative um, that we're taking uh, the steering wheel on. And, and thank you uh, to those of you that have helped us put this together on the 26th of every month for the rest of this year. On the 26th, we are going to, as a family of King of Kings, take a 24-hour responsibility on the 26th of every month to pray over Jerusalem, to pray for what God is doing here for salvation, for peace as well. It's a very important time. And if you haven't really bought into the whole concept of needing to be part of what we're doing in prayer, this has been a very tough week here in Jerusalem and, and beyond and, and everything that's impacting us. Yes, we, we're now crossing, what, the one-year mark of the Russian and Ukrainian war. I mean, this is just such a, a tragic thing, and it's uh, while it's not here on our land, we, we, we feel for that, we, we grieve for that, and it impacts us with the new Olim that we're welcoming. There was a fire this week right across the street at the Bikur Chole. It's the, one of the hospitals that they had to evacuate. So that was going on this week. We saw the smoke all in our offices this week. It was very, very sad to watch happen. Um, you have the earthquake that just happened in Turkey, of course, and, and how many thousands upon thousands are have lost their life and are still struggling to get out of that. It's a tragic situation. So much need for prayer. And then here in our own country, our government is struggling. I don't know if everyone keeps up with our government, but please join us in prayer. This past uh, couple of weeks, over 250,000 people protested all over Israel because of the, the changes they're looking to do in the reform of the judicial system and other items as well. 
Guys, if you haven't bought into the need for prayer, please buy into it now. The times we're going through and are going through will get harder and darker, and you will need to be part of prayer more than ever before. That means your personal prayer life as well as the corporate prayer dynamic. Please don't let that fall, okay? Be part of our prayer teams. Connect with the summit. Be part of our community groups where we pray together and we fight these battles for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Grab your Bibles tonight. We're going to continue in our sermon series called Highlights from Isaiah. We're going to focus primarily on Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, but we will also be touching base with the book of Genesis, and finally, we're going to conclude with the book of Revelation. But first, turn to Isaiah chapter 13 and 14. We start with chapter 13, verse 1, and right off the bat, we have to answer a question. Isaiah 13, 1, a prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. And I stopped right there and I paused and I, and I thought, well, as I read through the rest of the scriptures, I recognize that Babylon comes up a lot. And it's not only that Babylon comes up a lot, it's that Babylon gets spoken to quite strongly, including words of judgment that happen. And we're going to read some of that tonight. But I said to myself, I wonder if Babylon is simply meant to be a city under judgment or an empire or a kingdom under judgment, or is there something more to Babylon? Is, does it mean something else in scriptures? Yes, it was physically a city. We all embrace that. It's historical. It's archaeological. Babylon was a city-state that grew into an empire. All of that we embrace. But is there more about it? Because God seems to go back to it often in his word. How should we understand Babylon? What does it symbolize? Well, that's going to be our journey today through the word of God. Look at chapter 13. We're still in Isaiah 13, 19, and 20. It says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. There, no nomad will pitch their tents. There, no shepherds will rest their flocks. So as a quick background, we understand that at the height of its glory in the 7th and 6th centuries before the Lord, the ancient city of Babylon was the largest and wealthiest city in the known world. It was under the ruthless and ambitious king of Nebuchadnezzar II, and its sprawling settlement was found in modern-day Iraq. And it grew into a major city as large as something like the size of Chicago they used as a measuring stick. And it boasted towering temples, ornately tiled palaces, and imposing city walls. And the walls were so large and so thick that it had enough room for two chariots to ride side by side on its walls. That's how big the city walls were. That's how big the city was. And then that city grew into an empire. And yet this is the, the city-state or the empire that God is saying, I am going to destroy because of what they've done. Now, you never want to be on that end of God's judgment, of course, but God prophesies the very end of it. If we were to jump from Isaiah 13 into Isaiah 14, look at verse 3. 
On the day the Lord gives you relief from your suffering and turmoil and from the harsh labor forced on you, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, how the oppressor has come to an end, how his fury has ended. And as we start to study through the rest of chapter 13 and 14, we realize how Babylon will end up and how the nations around her will taunt her in the end. So whatever she was, she will no longer be. And as great as she was, there will be a day where she'll, she will be no more. And as a matter of fact, we might even say this, that the Bible prophesies that there will be a future where no one will remain from Babylon as descendants. No one will remain in her land. There will be no city. She will be wiped off the earth. That's what the Bible says in a prophetic sense. We pick it up in chapter 14, 9, and 10. The realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming. Speaking of the end of Babylon. That means the gates of hell are all ready for you. They're anticipating your arrival, Babylon. That's what it means. <clears throat> it rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you and all of those who were leaders in the world. It makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations, they will all respond. They will say to you, you also have become weak as we are. You have become like us. Again, it says down in verse 22, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I will wipe out Babylon's name and survivors, her offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. So in light of these very clear and direct judgments against Babylon, why then do we keep seeing her mentioned much later in the scriptures over and over? The Bible says that she will be no more. There will be no descendants. There will be no city. There will be no kingdom and empire. God will wipe you off. So why does Babylon keep showing up? Because there's more to Babylon than just the empire. It means something to God. The name, the image, the symbolism, it means something to God. And he's trying to convey to us what it means to him. So it keeps showing up in the scriptures. What does it represent? Let's learn a little bit about it. As we continue to study throughout the book of Isaiah... We realize that there's a lot of judgment coming on the nations that rose up against Israel. Babylon is certainly mentioned, but also Assyria and the lands of the Philippines, uh, the Philistines, and there's so many other lands and people that are, that are mentioned. But out of all of these nations that are mentioned that rise up against Israel, God isolates Babylon. It's different. It's not like the other ones. It's almost like there's an elevated judgment waiting for this kingdom. So I went back in the text and I said, well, if God arrived at that conclusion, we, we certainly know some of it, right? We know that, that Babylon was used to bring judgment on the southern kingdom of Israel. It was Babylon who came and brought the southern kingdom into exile. It was Assyria who came and brought the northern kingdom of Israel into exile. So there's that component, and we embrace that. We see that. We say, well, maybe that was God getting back at them. But really, the story of Babylon starts much earlier in the scriptures. And I wanted to research what that was. As far back as Genesis chapter 10. Now, let's do a quick recap. There's been the flood of Noah's time. 
And Noah comes out of the ark, but before the ark, he already had three sons, right? Ham, Shem, and Japheth, right? So in the line of Ham, coming out of the ark, Ham has a son named Cush, and Cush has a son named Nimrod. So Nimrod is the great-grandson of Noah. It's, you should know that, right? So Nimrod, and this picks up the text in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Listen to what this says. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first cities of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalne, and they were in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, and Kalah. So the same guy, this guy Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, he built the first kingdom referenced in the Bible. And that first kingdom referenced in the Bible was Babylon. So this just got a lot more interesting. Because it's not just what Babylon did to Israel. It's what Babylon was. It stood for something. It had an origin that was already problematic. Notice again that this same guy, Nimrod, was the architect of not just Babylon, but he was also the architect of Assyria and Nineveh. You talk about some of Israel's greatest enemies throughout history, and they're all coming from this one guy. That stood out to me when I was reading the text. What was he doing? What was he imposing? What was he trying to build governmentally on the earth against the kingdom of God? And so we continue to dig these three ancient enemies, but we notice that it's Babylon that was set up in a valley called Shinar. Now you say, well, I don't really know much about that valley. I don't even know if that valley is important. I'm not even sure why they put that in the text because it seems out of place. It didn't say where everything else was, but it said where Babylon was because it's important. If you were to move forward one chapter in your Bible from Genesis 10, go forward to Genesis 11, we read the story of the Tower of Babel. Let's read a little bit about that and see what it says. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So Babel, this famous story about the Tower of Babel, was located in the Valley of Shinar. It's the same place Babylon was located, in the Valley of Shinar. I don't know how big that valley was, but I doubt there was enough room in one valley for two kingdoms. Could it be that this is the same Kingdom, the kingdom of Babel and the kingdom of Babylon. Well, certainly the transliteration, the way we say it nowadays, certainly that sounds very similar. So it has that going for it. Then their locations are the same location as well. I did some more research on this, and according to a scholar named Chad Ashby, in his article on Babel and Babylon, he says this, 
In all 233 occurrences in the Old Testament, when they use the word Babel, it is actually translated in the Septuagint Greek, Babylon. So according to this scholar, there is no separation. When it's translated 233 times in the Old Testament, it's actually translated in the Greek as Babylon. Now, I don't know why the Hebrew translators chose a slightly different pronunciation, although it's not a huge jump. You can kind of see how we got there, right? So now we have the Greek is the same. The transliteration is similar. The timing is right because it's Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. We know the founder. And we know where it's located in the Valley of Shinar. So let me do something for you for a moment. Let me, let me start a painting with a big, broad brushstroke. Come on, artist, you're gonna like this. The big brushstrokes. And I'm gonna take you through a quick survey of early Genesis so you can see how the story plays out from a 30,000 foot view. You gotta get really high to see this view for a moment. In Genesis six through nine, we have the judgment of the world through the flood. God saves the family of eight and they come out of the ark. In Genesis 10, Nimrod is said here to build Babylon in Shinar. So now he's introduced as the great grandson of Noah. In Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel is built also in the same valley as Shinar. And we see the scattering of the nations, another judgment on the nations because of their arrogance to try to stand up against God. And in Genesis 12, God, after he scattered the nations, he goes and selects one nation. That's where the covenant of Abraham is introduced. So you have to see it from a big brush stroke point of view. It's the flood, judgment against man and his evil. Then it's man standing up to God saying, we're gonna build something as tall as you, we're gonna come up there. And God says, no, you're not. And he scatters them. And then after he scatters them, he says, I have a people that I wanna bring to myself. And he calls Abraham out of the scattered nations. Let me give you this key phrase because I think this is important to understand why Babylon continually stands out in the scriptures. Remember when God called Abraham, he called him to be a people that came out of the pagan nations. And then when Israel followed those pagan nations many years later and they wouldn't give up their idols, God allowed the same nation, Babylon, to come in and take them captive and they went right back to where they came from. Let me give you this key phrase. When Judah was exiled to Babylon, it was a return to the place of the paganism from which they had earlier been delivered. Do you see the connection now? This, is, this has gotten so rich, it's hard to turn away now. You got the transliteration, you, you've got the Greek, you've got the location, you have the prophetic implications, you have the location in Shinar. All of it's coming together now. That when Judah was exiled and sent back to Babylon, God was going, I brought you from there, and if that's what you want, then that's where you're going back. And until you turn to me, you don't get to be part of this promised land. We see so many scriptural connections. I'm back in Isaiah for a moment. Chapter 14, I'm now up to verse 13 and 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly 
on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and I will make myself the most high. I will make myself like the most high, they would say. This is what Isaiah is saying about Babylon. He's saying this is what Babylon says and that's why God is going to bring them down. Well, if we go back to Genesis 11, verse four, they said exactly the same thing. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. Isn't that amazing? That in Isaiah, they're quoted as saying, we wanna be enthroned above the stars in the clouds. In Genesis, it says, they're gonna build something as tall as the heavens. I think that's the same idea. Isaiah says, we're gonna be like God. And Genesis says, we want our name to be known on the earth. That's trying to be like God. You see the connection here. So it's not only the prophetic connection, it's their own confession. Now we have so many layers that are in line with this empire called Babylon and why God keeps referring to it and all of its symbolic meaning. It's been in the past. It was at the time of the writing and then it shows up in the future as well. Lots of matches going on here. So what exactly is the meaning? That's what we've been trying to build toward anyway. What is the meaning? Well, before we can understand the full meaning, we have to look at where it shows up in the future in the book of Revelation. So if you have your, your devices or your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation. Let's start in chapter 14. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit more background. We're not necessarily looking at this moment at all of the rest of the mentions of Babylon. If you want to study more about it, you can go to First and Second Kings, and you can go to the series of the prophets. It shows up in Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, and Zechariah. So if you want to learn more, go to those places. You can, you can learn more. And if you can't write that down because I'm talking too fast, this sermon is on our archives every week. You can go back and see it. One, one more important thing that just that, that struck me, and I, I didn't really put it in my notes, but it did strike me because I was just, I, I was just like saturated in Babylon this week, right? You know what I mean? Like once you get into the study, you're like, my goodness, Lord, look how many layers are on this day. I'm reading in the book of Matthew, and I'm reading about the genealogy of Yeshua, and it breaks his genealogy into two halves, the first half before Babylon and the second half after Babylon. That's how important that is to God, that it even shows up in the genealogy of our Messiah. That means historically on this earth, this has a humongous impact in what God wants to do and what he wants to show us. That's why it's so important that we look at it from Isaiah's perspective. And another thing struck me, that of all of the times you look at the nationhoods in the Bible, Babylon is only third to Israel and Egypt, right? If you're gonna look at what country does God talk about the most, it's gonna be Israel first, Egypt second, Babylon third. That's how high it is on the list. But let's look at what God thinks about it when we get to Revelation 14. Connected to the announcement of the mark of the beast, by the way, so the context is important, Revelation 14, verse eight. 
A second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worshiped the beasts, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. So when we read about the announcement of the coming mark of the beast, Babylon is mentioned. Kind of a big deal in earth's history. It's still being an influence on the earth, even though it's gone. That means it's not only an empire physically, that means it's a spirit. That's what we're supposed to be gleaning from the book of Revelation in Isaiah and Genesis. It's not just a place. It's not just a history. It is a spirit. There is a spirit of Babylon that is enticing people of this world and it's pulling them down through what the Bible calls its perversions and adulteries. It's constantly enticing people. So not only is it bad enough to be mentioned at the announcement of the mark of the beast, but what happens when we open the seven bowls? Well, guess what? Babylon's mentioned again. I'm in Revelation 16. Revelation 16, starting in verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. And the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So now the bowls are being opened, and guess who's that spirit is still being addressed? One more chapter forward, Revelation 17, verse one. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters with the king's of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and the beast was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. It doesn't matter how you slice this. It doesn't matter how you look at it. It doesn't matter where you look at it or when you look at it, whether it's Genesis, Isaiah, the prophets, the kings, Matthew, or Revelation. Anytime you mention Babylon, you are dealing with the mother of prostitutes, the enticer of adulteries, the performer of abominations, that which fills the earth with filth and influences the nations with her wine. They're getting drunk. That's the imagery, right? They're getting drunk. It's almost like 
They take a sip and then they take a second sip and before long they're intoxicated and they can no longer control themselves. That's the spirit of Babylon. And that's a spirit, friends, that is pervasive today. It's a spirit that the enemy has released. It was the same spirit that you find in a lot of the pagan temples where they would have temple prostitutes. They would have all kind of sexual perversions in these supposedly religious houses. It was the same thing that started to creep into Israel and Israel started to do it. Israel started to have the same prostitutes and the same perversions in their temple and all around their courts. The spirit of Babylon is an evil, perverted spirit that seeks to intoxicate the planet so that they're no longer conscious of reality. They're so indulgent in their self-gratification, they can no longer feel what it feels like to really be alive. And it doesn't really matter which sexual perversion we're talking about. The Bible goes through a long list of them from anywhere from premarital fornication to marital adulteries to homosexuality to bestiality to prostitution and the above. There's a long list. There's incest and molestation. There's so many sexual perversions. But the spirit of Babylon is released on the earth right now in a major way through pornography, through adultery and divorces, through homosexuality, to transgenderism, through the, where do you think this global movement of sex trafficking comes from? It's this spirit, this is it. A lot of times, there are other spirits that are pretty famous, right? These evil demonic spirits and movements. We understand that there's an anti-Messiah spirit we know that spirit. We know that there's a spirit of lawlessness. We know that there's an anti-Semitic spirit against the Jewish people for what God has called them to do and to be. But a lot of times, friends, I think we've overlooked the spirit of Babylon. It's been released on the earth and not, not just, not just non-believers and unbelievers are part of this. It is sucking believers down and intoxicating them at rates you won't believe. In touching base with our counseling team, I can't, even, I can't even believe the numbers and the percentages of people that are struggling in these areas and how many millions of people are being sex trafficked in the world right now and how many government officials are hiding it, participating in it, covering it up because why? They are intoxicated by the adulteries and they do not want to let go of it. They lost a grip on reality. They don't really care about countries anymore and their well-being of the citizens. What they care about are their self-gratifications. They will keep themselves in power as long as they can so that they can provide for themselves these gratifications. It's no longer about serving the citizens of a country. It's about drinking the wine of Babylon. And this is becoming more and more clear as the end of the age approaches. You're, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. The genie is out of the bottle. When you say one thing is okay, you can't stop the train anymore. When you start to say 
Pornography is okay. Let, just let people do what they'll do. And homosexuality is okay. Just, they, they make their own choices. They were born that way. They, the argument on the street is they were born that way and they can't help it, so you can't judge them. That's the word on the street. That's not the word of God, by the way. It's the word on the street. It's the culture. And as soon as you take the lid off of that genie, that bottle, and the genie comes out and you say pornography, homosexuality, transgenderism, what's gonna stop someone from bestiality? I, but, I, but I was born that way. You can't judge me for that. I was born that way. What, all of a sudden now you're gonna have to draw a line in the sand? You couldn't, you couldn't speak to any of the other groups. Why can you speak to that group? Oh, and, and, and as a matter of fact, why don't we just continue to lower and lower and lower the age of accountability in terms of a sexual relationship also? It's just gonna keep going down. It was, what was it, 21, then it was 18, now it's 16 in some countries? Do you really think that there are, there's gonna be a lot of years go by before that age of accountability is gonna be 14, 12, 10, 8? And then somebody's gonna say, but I'm a child molester, and I, but I, I, am, I am sexually attracted to children. All of a sudden, are you now gonna draw a line in the sand? You couldn't draw a line in the sand any time before because they're drinking of the wine of Babylon. They don't care anymore. Self-gratification is all that matters. Vote yourself into power, keep yourself into power, fight your way into power, deceive your way, whatever you gotta do, do it to drink that wine because you're so addicted to it because you've totally lost reality. What's natural, what's created, what's procreational. All the things that make the most logical sense in the world to us as believers, but not to somebody who's drunk. Nothing makes sense to them except self-gratification. Revelation 18, Ray, would you come and help us? Revelation 18, two through four, with a mighty voice he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Uh-oh. Mm. Be careful, believers in Messiah. If you are dabbling, if you are playing with fire here, be careful. There are plagues that are coming to those that drink this wine. Out of God's love, he tells you ahead of time so you'll get out, so you'll stop, so you'll come into freedom. Here at King of Kings, we want you free. Come see our pastors. Come to the community groups. Come into discipleship. Come to the counseling center. Come to the prayer tower. Come and take what is offered to all of us so we can do it together. This room is not filled with perfect people. According to the statistics that we're dealing with right now, between 70 and 80% of us are struggling with sexual perversions. So we're not pointing a finger at judgment at any one of us. 
but collectively we can do this together. We can come out from the, that influence of the spirit of Babylon and stop drinking that wine. God is giving you tools. I'm telling you right now, I am the mouthpiece saying God is giving you tools. If you choose not to take them, that's on you. But God has brought you to this community, whether you're online or you're in the house, God has brought you here to be free. He didn't bring you here to impress us. I'm not here to impress you. You're not here to impress me. But God is giving us a way to be free. The wine will, will intoxicate so deeply that there will be a point in the near future where those that pursue their own self-gratification will no longer care that they kill other people to find it. It's like a, a drug-addicted person. They will kill believers because we stand in their way. You mark my words. We start to speak the truth, and even if it's in love, it's not going to matter. It's because we're standing in their way, and what they want is what they want. Revelation 18, 24. In Babylon, when she was destroyed, it says, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth because they just didn't care anymore. You're in my way of feeling what I want to feel. Putting all of this together now, we can see that Babylon is a, it's a demonic spiritual force that intoxicates the world and its leaders into un unbridled perversions and the pursuit of luxury to the point that if anyone seeks to oppose this goal, the drive to drink from the cup is so strong that they will have no reservations about killing and persecuting God's people who might stand in their way. Babylon is the first great city and kingdom to ever be mentioned in the Bible. It's the first city ever to be destroyed. It's also the last city to ever be destroyed. Read about it. Study it. There's a spirit. That's why God won't let go. He won't let the name go. The city's gone, but he won't let the name go because the name stands for that spirit. It was established by Nimrod. It was ruled over by Nebuchadnezzar. And in Revelation, it says, the woman prostitute and the beast will rule over it. Not the physical city, the influence. I want to leave you with making sure you get the meaning of all of this. You know, in the Bible, God speaks of Egypt quite often. And anytime that Egypt is mentioned, we now know that is the spirit of slavery, right? Well, you get that, right? The spirit of slavery. But Babylon represents the kingdoms of this world that seek to set themselves up against the kingdom of God. Next time you hear Babylon, think of it, that perverted spirit seeking to intoxicate the world that it might take over. It no longer cares about the kingdom of God. It wants to take over the world. While Egypt enslaved people, Babylon entices them. It's a different function. It's a different demonic spirit.
We as believers are called by Yeshua to come out of this influence, to live separate lives. We do not give in to her lusts. We do not drink the wine of her adulteries. We do not part, uh, become part of her enticements to indulge in the gratification of the flesh. A new covenant encouragement comes from 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Remember that series? As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And what's so great about 2 Corinthians 6 that Paul is writing is he's actually quoting someone. I'm sure you can guess who he's quoting. He's quoting Isaiah, putting a very clean ending to our time today. Isaiah 52, 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out of it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. We are the temple of the Lord. We carry the articles of the Lord. And right there, God focused on us and he said, come out, do not Drink this, it's poison to you. And if you wanna carry my articles, you have to come out and be separate because we are the temple of God. I'm gonna pray over you. And then we're gonna have some prayer time. Prayer team, if you'll just come and take your stations. But we're also gonna open up the altars up front for anybody who just wants a private moment. It could be for this topic, it could be for any topic, but you need a private moment. Our prayer partners will be on the sides Right here down front is the, a private altar moment between us and God. Lord, we need your word today. That wasn't an easy one, but it is an effective one. If we are to be your temple and to carry the articles of the temple, we're called to live holy and righteous lives. And Father, we just wanna say as a body of Messiah, please forgive us. I just sense there's a, there's, a, there's a need to confess sin tonight, friends. Whatever word you need to say to God, this is the time to say it. You might say, forgive me for experimenting. Forgive me for dabbling. Forgive me for touching it with fire. God, forgive me for, for trying it out. Father, forgive me for being curious. Father, forgive me for being in bondage even. Any of those words is what God needs to hear from you tonight. Father, would you give us the courage? Holy Spirit, come in this room in a greater measure. Give us courage now to do this business with you. You're giving us the opportunity. This is another tool, and we don't want to pass this opportunity by. Holy Spirit, fall in this house tonight. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.